0: Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to the Story Church Podcast. Our podcast features audio from Sunday mornings at Story Church in Peru, Indiana, a community on the mission of connecting people's story to God's story. If you'd like to connect with us further, check out storyperu.com. Our hope is that today's episode helps you take your next step on your faith journey. Super Bowl Sunday, I feel like, is kind of a weird Sunday in church world. Um, Pastors have, like, mixed feelings about it uh, because it's, like, people sometimes opt out of church on this Sunday, but it makes no sense because, like, the game's way later today. So bonus points to you. You made it. Kudos. Way to go. Uh, We're not giving away TVs or anything like that. So if you were duped by that, sorry. Um, Maybe next week. But uh, my church growing up, I can remember, like I said, I was in church my whole life, and they always made it like this youth fundraiser weekend. I don't know if you grew up in a church like that, but uh, we would always sell sub sandwiches. So that was like how we funded the youth ministry every year. And for some reason, that's like ingrained into my brain where I'm like, I need to eat a sub sandwich today. So that's free, I guess. If you want to check out Subway, I hear they have good ones. Um, But today, what I really want us to do together is uh, I want to use the context of the big game to really talk about uh, us as a church and what it looks like for us to be engaged in the life of the church. And so I'll like reveal the punchline early. If you're here and you're new, uh, this may feel like kind of a weird morning for you. We don't always have the footballs and all that stuff. Uh, And we also don't always talk about what maybe feels like inside business. But if you are new here, I hope that uh, our time together today at least gives you a snapshot into what is really at the heart of this whole movement of people called Story Church, and if you're not new today, I hope you feel a little bit of tension at certain points along the way, but we'll get through that together. Um, when I was thinking about the big game, when I was thinking about the Super Bowl, uh, for me, like when I've watched it, which I don't watch it every year to be honest, uh, but when I've watched it, it, it's always been about the big players, like I can remember when the Colts were in the Super Bowl, and Peyton was awesome. Remember those beautiful, beautiful days so so long ago uh, those Super Bowl for like most of my childhood, I feel like, has been dominated by Tom Brady, unfortunately, and I know that's really polarizing, like he retired again, hopefully, but uh, (laughs) again, polarizing thing, right? Some of you love Tom Brady, and some of you are saved, but um, (laughs) anyway, it's like the big game is about the players. I don't hardly know any players this year. I did learn uh, today that this is the first uh, Super Bowl where two brothers are facing off on opposing teams, so there's some fun Super Bowl trivia for you if you want it, Uh, but how absurd would it be if we like put all the effort, all the energy, all the money into a game like the Super Bowl, and nobody took the field, right? Like how absurd would it be if we did this whole spectacle, but then like the only thing they could set the camera on were the people on the sidelines? It it makes no sense, right? It's crazy. Uh, We're calling this weekend sideline superstars, and, and what we're getting at, is that even though that sounds crazy in the context of the Super Bowl, that's actually what it looks like for us to function in a healthy way as a church. Uh, But before we get there, I was thinking about people in the sidelines, which made me think of the only time we really do put the spotlight on people in the sidelines, which is like the fan cam that shows up at different games. You know what I'm talking about? Often there's like the kiss cam and on there, but there have been some funny moments that have happened along the way, and so I just pulled a couple of my favorites just for fun. Uh, So check this one out. I had to share a little LeBron because although I'm not a sports analyst, I'm somewhat aware, and uh, just to let everybody know that Michael Jordan is better. But anyway, that was fun. Uh, there's another one here. Check out this kid's face. I love this. <laughs> he knew the assignment. And then check out this next guy. Or look at what he is checking out, rather. Like <laughs> He does not blink. All right, just look at that for a second. Look at those eyes. Like, guys, you all probably done that before, right? But anyway, uh, the next one is a little bit of a football uh, fan cam moment. Just totally robbed it from her. (laughs) She's outraged. She goes back and begs for it, and he's like, no, it's mine. But happy ending. at some point, got a football, so that's great. Uh, But like I said, I think the way most of us usually experience this is when they do the whole kiss cam thing. And uh, check out what happened in these. The first one gets a little exciting, but it's church, so it cuts away quickly enough. Yep, there they go, good for them. Here's the one I wanted you to see. On the phone, Uh uh-oh, boom! Outraged, and I love like everybody else is cheering her on. I don't know what he said or what he did, but I do know that he deserved it. So uh, moments like that are really the only moments that we put the spotlight on the people in the stands. Uh, otherwise, we all have a tendency to idolize greatness, don't we? Like, like in our culture, uh, this is what attracts us to sports or, or even music and, and different people that turn into our heroes. We idolize people who are at the peak of their game. And uh, that's great it, You know, with the Super Bowl, it's great with musicians and other people that you look up to, but in the church, If we idolize greatness in the wrong way, it can be really toxic and it can be really, really dangerous. And in fact, uh, we've probably all heard the headlines and and seen the news stories breaking over the past few years as leaders who have gotten too uh, in their own heads, in their own power, too unaccountable to others, have done terrible things. And people looked at them and they thought those are great men or great women, great leaders typically men, to be honest, but they thought those are great leaders, and then it turns out that things actually weren't so great under the surface, and sometimes we can make this idol out of greatness. In fact, I remember doing this uh, even when I was a kid, uh, growing up in church, like like I said, I was in the youth group, and I sold the sub sandwiches, and and I, I had an active and a growing faith, but somewhere along the way, I picked up this idea that it was my job to do great things for God, right? Like, I wanted to go out, and I wanted to make a difference, and there's a lot worse things that kids can get into than trying to make a, a great difference for God, but uh, what I also learned is that in me, there was a little bit of this, like, toxic ambition behind that. Like, me going out and trying to do something great for God was ultimately more about me than it was about God, and, and I was confronted with this idea uh, just a few years ago. Uh, I was reading this book that I think I heard about on a podcast. Uh, it's called full service. It's written by a guy named Shang Yong Tan, or at least that's how I say it. Uh, But this book is all about the idea of servanthood, like actually trying to follow Jesus by being a servant. And in the introduction, he makes this statement that captured my attention. It's like the best part of the whole book, and it's in the first couple of pages. But he says this, he says, a better aim for one's life, instead of doing great things for God, is to do things for a great God. And that's a subtle shift, right? But he's saying a better aim rather than saying, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be great for God. A better aim of our lives is to just do things for a great God. It's to do the things that we naturally do, to do the things that we're wired to do, that we're gifted to do, with an awareness that we're doing it for God who is great and who makes the things that we do great. And uh, that's exactly what Jesus actually talked about when he walked this earth too. Jesus confronted this idol of greatness or this idea that we love to make a big deal out of powerful people. And one time he was walking with his followers, as they tended to do, and the guy started getting in an argument about who was going to be the greatest among them. And Jesus overhears this conversation, and he has to take them aside and do this little sidebar. And it's recorded in Matthew 20. It says that Jesus called them together, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, you know that people in this world leverage power as their primary means of influence. You know people in this world leverage power, maybe even in ways that they ought not to. And then Jesus says maybe the four most important words that some of us need to hear today about what it looks like to follow Jesus. He looks his followers squarely in the eyes and he says, not so with you not so with you, right? You've seen people lord power over others, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man, just as Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and ultimately give his life As a ransom for many. So, Jesus introduces this upside down way of approaching influence and power. And in fact, that's what Jesus did all the time as he talked about what God's kingdom looked like or what it looked like when God got his way. He flipped the script of how we tend to operate in life upside down. And in a similar way, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, uh, but the story of the church. It's kind of this underdog story. And as much as we love to idolize greatness, uh, many of us love a good underdog along the way. That's what my wife tends to do. Like, whichever game we're watching, whenever we're watching it, I feel like she just picks the team that's most likely to lose. And is like, that's my guys. <laughs> like, root them on. But, but we all love a good underdog story. And, and I know it doesn't seem like it in our day because a lot of us have buildings and lights and microphones and they're littered all throughout Uh, the country, there's churches everywhere. It it doesn't seem like the church is the underdog. In fact, in many ways, it seems like the church has a lot of power, and that's a different topic for a different day. But it's actually one of the greatest underdog stories that's ever happened because if you think about it, it it was just this small group of first-century peasants, this weird little offshoot of Judaism as they viewed it back then. In fact, let me phrase the question for you in this way. How is it possible that a first-century cult, because that's what they thought it was, birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, because that's where they were, Galilee was not like the glamorous part of the empire, it was like the backwoods forgotten part of the empire. How did a first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, whose leader was rejected by his own people and crucified, survive, and then thrive in the face of violent, organized, state-funded resistance? You're like, well, when you put it that way, Eric, right? Like, It's it's insane. It's crazy. It's crazy that the church is even here today with that kind of a beginning. Again, it was completely upside down, and it was upside down in both its means and in its message. Jesus talked about how the last would actually be first, that the leader was actually the servant of all. He flipped the script upside down, and do you know why the church made it? scholars have studied it, historians study it, the general consensus is like we have no idea, but it's crazy. Uh, But those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who who believe the claims of Jesus, actually have some insight into why the church is still here. And it's in this extraordinary statement that Jesus once again said when he gathered some of his followers together. They were traveling together to this region called Caesarea Philippi. And and as they were walking, uh, here's what the text says. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? That's a risky question. He turned and he's basically like, hey, what's my reputation? What's the word on the street? Like, what are people saying about me? And, and so they replied and they said, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. They're like, I don't know, people are trying to figure you out, Jesus. Like, they know you're special in some way, but they think maybe you're a prophet. And then Jesus turns the question on them. And, and there's a lot of power in this. He turns and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And for once, Peter, who was like classically known for sticking his head where it didn't belong and getting the answer wrong, for once, Peter gets it right. And Simon Peter answers and says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And then here's the promise. Here's the thing Jesus says that explains why the church is still here and why we're here today. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, on the rock, or this idea that Jesus is the Savior, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus made this promise in that moment. He says, I will build my church, and nothing will overcome it. And and here's why I'm rambling about this today. That includes us. Like, that includes us today, right here. Jesus, when he made that promise, we were included in it. He was thinking about this little movement of people in Peru, Indiana, meeting in a movie theater for a couple of years. And again, it's unbelievable to think that this movement kept moving. There's a uh, historian and a scholar uh, named Bart Ehrman. He's actually not a Jesus follower at all, but he wrote a book all about the beginnings of early Christianity. It's called The Triumph of Christianity. And in this book, uh, it's a fascinating little read, again, because he doesn't believe the claims of Christianity and yet is talking about the impact that it's had. And Bart Ehrman says this in that book, He says, Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and on an even more fundamental level, the very understanding billions of people had about what it means to be human. Because this little movement, it it kept spreading and people caught on to the idea that they were actually made in the image of God that everybody had dignity because they were created in the image of their Heavenly Father. And so when this movement started moving, uh, people's lives got better. The status of children and women got better wherever Christianity spread, and it was this radical revolution in human history. And in fact, uh, Bart Ehrman goes on, again, not believing in the resurrection, not believing in Jesus, but he says this about the church. He says, however one evaluates the merits of the case, in other words, whatever you think about that whole Easter thing, no one can deny It was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. And again, here's why I'm talking about that today. Here's why I'm going on about this. When I'm talking about us getting in the game of what engaging with the church looks like, the reason that this whole story is a big deal is because we are the stewards of that movement. We are the stewards of that movement right here and right now. We're the ones who carry the story forward for Story Church in Peru, Indiana. And so what that means for us Is all of us have a choice to make. As we're confronted with the story of the church, as we're confronted with the story of Jesus, we have a choice to make. We can come into a place like this and we can consume and we can take from it whatever we can get, or we can engage in it. We can get involved. We can be active in the midst of it. And look, if you're new here, I mean, we kind of intentionally designed this place where you can just kind of like sit back and take it in for a little bit. And that's great if that's your starting point. But if you're not new here and you've been here for a while, man, I hope the tension is starting to rise a little bit because it's so easy for us to slip in to just consuming church and showing up and trying to take whatever we can get out of it, but missing what's actually at the heart of this movement. Uh, The stakes are high because it's easier than ever to have a consumeristic attitude uh, about church. Uh, We can kind of have that attitude about everything, right? But you've fallen into this before. If you've ever showed up and and then you're like driving home and you're grumpy because you're like, they didn't play my song. (laughs) <laughs> like they had three choices, sometimes even four, and they didn't get it right. Or, or, or maybe you're like driving home and you're like, why did he do the money talk again today? Right? I invited my friend, now I'm embarrassed. It, like, it, it, it's subtle, right? and it's not all bad. Like, I'm glad you have a, a song that's good. But, but like, it, it's this subtle little slip into consumerism that we can fall into, and it's easier than ever for any of us to do this. I mean, I've struggled with this at times as well. Uh, but do you know what experts say about the church You've probably even heard about it on the news. This is getting to be a pretty popular topic that people are talking about. If you're nerdy like me and you listen to, like, researchers and people who talk about how the church is going, do you know what the experts say about the church in America? Experts right now say that the church in America is dying, That that if you look at all of the statistics, you look at the trends and the habits of people. People attend less, right? Young people leave earlier. It's like it doesn't look good. It it all looks pretty bad if you're tracking the trajectory of the American church right now. And the thinking, or people say, basically this trend already existed, and then this whole pandemic thing happened, and it just like sped up the decline uh, because we all realized that there was this cool thing called online church, and and we could like stay home and still be on our PJs and have our breakfast, but still like check off the Jesus list at the same time. And and I'm not knocking on online church okay we leverage online resources we plan to invest in that even more in the future some of you don't know this I actually applied at one time to be an online pastor for a very large church so nothing against online church I get it Uh, but the thing is if we fall into this consumption mindset we can get into some really unhealthy patterns Uh, not just like measuring attendance but even in the way that we think about what church is all about because it's easier than ever, and in so many ways this is a good thing, but it's easier than ever for us to have access to world-class communicators, uh, theologians, scholars, people who talk uh, about the Bible in really compelling ways. I mean, I'm not blind to this, right? I know that if I didn't do it for you this week, you can hop on and listen to somebody anywhere throughout the country, right, if you want to catch up on a different message, and the thing that we can end up doing if we get in this consumeristic mindset is sometimes we think that it's all about this, It's all about the person with the microphone and the platform and the message and the the catchy one-liners and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We can make a superstar out of who's on the platform. But when it comes to this question of whether or not the church in America is dying or not, do you know who gets to decide that? Do you know who gets to decide if the church in America is dying or on decline? We do. We do. We get to decide it by the way that we engage with it or don't. It's up to us. And man, I was struck by just in some ways how good we have it when I was reading uh, a book that I've read several times. It's written by Pastor Andy Stanley in Atlanta, Georgia. It's called Deep and Wide. And it's basically this like strategy book for how uh, he operates his church. And it's really shaped a lot of how we do things around here too. But in the very introduction, uh, he's writing about uh, this time that he traveled overseas to China. He was on this like leadership trip to go tour a factory. And he met this girl who, who worked in the factory and was talking to her, and she knew of Andy, uh, because she had actually gotten a hold of a CD, remember those, uh, that had some of his messages on it, and, and so she had listened to him, and, and saw him there, and she came up, and she said, Pastor Andy, I have a question for you, and he's like, okay, go ahead, and she says, why doesn't everyone in America go to church, and Andy's like, ah, uh. You tell me, right? Like, I would love for him to. But then this girl went on and she explained that uh, she's living in China, right? And so for her to try and, and be in a faith community, she had to travel two hours to the nearest underground church where she had to secretly gather and find whatever scripture they could have or whatever resources they could grab onto, uh, have their Bible study, and then turn around and travel two hours back just for, like, one service, like that thing that you almost skipped today, right? <laughs> and and that, that question, why doesn't everyone in America go to church? it's such a tension-filled thing for us. I think it's a tension that we're meant to wrestle with if we're the ones who steward and carry this story forward. But again, if we fall in that consumeristic mindset, it can be so easy to think that this is what it's all about. And and I just want to be crystal clear today, as we're talking about who the superstar of the church is, that the superstar of this church is not on this platform. The the superstar of this church is not me, okay? And and I hope you're, like, listening at least. (laughs) I hope that, like, I like when you laugh when I say funny things or try to say funny things, right? Like, that's all good. I like when you lean in when I tell stories, but but my job, do you know what my job is? It's actually not to wow you or entertain you, but my job is actually to equip you. It's spelled out uh, in the letter to the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote, and he said it in this way. He says that Christ himself Gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So you can blame Jesus that you have me. Is basically what saying there. Uh, Christ gave the teachers to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. My job is to equip you to do the ministry. My job is to give you the tools to serve, to, to actually live out the God-given potential that he's put inside of you. And man, I, I've talked about this before. Sometimes people come to me with ideas about like, hey, our church should do this. And, and it's always well-intentioned. Sometimes it's even a great idea. You know what I try and do every single time? I'm like, yeah, we should. What, what are you going to do? Right? Like, because you're our church. And, and I hope you get that today. As we talk about the future of the church, maybe not even in America, but the future of Story Church. Here's what I want you to know. You're our church. You're, our ch- you're your church, right? Your engagement level in the local church will shape the direction that the church goes. So the big question of this moment is, will we be the church? W- will we actually be what we're called to be? Will we steward the thing that Jesus gave his life for in the way that he called us to? And, and like, here's what I want you to get. If you're here and you're just checking things out, like you don't know what you think about Jesus and the resurrection and faith and all that stuff, you kind of get a pass today, okay? Just keep checking it out, and, and I hope you keep leaning in, and I, I hope eventually uh, you find yourself in the middle of that story. But if you're here and you are a Christian, Jesus calls you the body of Christ. He calls you a part of his body. And, and you know, like, you were born, and you have a body, and, like, it wasn't really optional for your fingers to be your fingers or your hands to be your hands. Or, like, like, you just, you have a body. In that same way, Jesus says you are his body. If you're a follower of Jesus... You're a part of it. In fact, Paul spells this out in the letter to the church in Corinth, really crystal clear. He says now, if you're following Jesus, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. And that means that everybody has a part to play in the life of the local church, that everybody has a contribution to make in the life of the local church. And man, I would be missing it today if I spent all this time talking about serving and getting involved. If I didn't take a second to celebrate and brag on the amazing people who do this here, who show up week in and week out, who give time and who give energy uh, and invest in this local church. I mean, we have some amazing volunteers and team members as we're describing them today, those sideline superstars who make it happen around here. And I don't know if you thought about it, but like we're gonna celebrate them in just a second, but it's like not all glamorous all the time. Like the morning is early every week, (laughs) okay? Like the kids are great, but they're kids right the students they're they're great but they're students right like like all of it comes with it and so there's like this cost there's this investment that these leaders have chosen to make and, and I was thinking about why they do it why they said yes and, and rather than me trying to like guess and just rattle it off to you we actually asked them and put together just a quick video uh, to celebrate them so check out some of our uh, volunteers and superstars here talking about why they're in the game. <laughs> I like serving because um, I always felt good. When I came into church and they would say, good morning to you, or how'd your week go, or something like that. And I always want to ask somebody, you know, good morning, how are you, and stuff like that. What I like about serving is the relationships. The relationships I have with the other volunteers, also the relationships I have with each of the kids. I have seen serving affect several ways basically weekly like today and our lesson was to find Jesus and uh, we had a two-year-old that enjoyed finding Jesus and so that's always enjoyable when their face lights up like I found Jesus it's really filled a void in my life to be able to serve on the worship team it's something that I didn't even know I was missing in my life until I started doing Serving has shown me that you can make an impact on others just by making them feel known and important and then also still being a part of their story. I continue to serve and volunteer because I think that there's no limit to where God will put you Um, and I just feel like God gave me a talent and I want to use it to worship Can we take a second and just give it up for the people who make this place the amazing place that it is? Yeah. Like loud enough that they can hopefully hear it over in the kids' hallway and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, uh, here's the thing. Like, this thing doesn't work without you. It, it doesn't work without all of you, really. Like, we're missing it if you're not yet engaged. But those of you who said yes and chose to show up and choose to show up week in and week out, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you and uh, how much it matters. And uh, We're gonna celebrate you more in in like a couple of weeks. We've got a volunteer appreciation night coming up, which if you don't know about, you're probably not on a team yet, which we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, But man, again, I can't say thank you enough. And at the same time, let me get to the point today, okay? Like, why are we talking about this and what does this mean for us? If you're here and you're already serving in some capacity, you're you're already serving and you're involved on some sort of team, here's what I would say for you today. Keep at it, keep at it. And look, I know that feels like a little, like really bait and switch. Like, you're going to appreciate me and then be like, keep working. But like, I want to say that with eyes open and acknowledging that like, we're still very much in startup mode as a church, right? I mean, we've been at it for a while, but we're still like in that space. And if you don't, if you ever started anything, like, you know, it's just like an uphill push to just keep the thing going and keep the thing going. And and so I, I see that, I acknowledge that, and I know that it's tiring, And I know that so many of you had said yes time and time and time again, and you show up week in and week out. And I'm not saying, like, just grin and bear it, okay, and, like, burn out somewhere down the line. Rest, take breaks, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, don't lose sight of our mission. Don't lose sight of the reason that we're here. Don't lose sight of this thing that we're stewarding. I mean, did you hear what what some of those volunteers were saying? I love, uh, you know, it's about relationships, uh, you heard. Uh, Somebody said that there's no limit what I can do. There's no limit to the ways that I can serve. Uh, Another person said it filled a void in my life, and I love what John said at the very beginning. I don't know if you you heard him, but uh, it was as simple as this. He said, well, you know, I serve because uh, when I was going to church, somebody held the door for me, and they were always really friendly, and then I thought I could do that for people too. (laughs) Like, I I love that, and he does it. Like, you've probably seen John out there week in and week out greeting you, getting to know you. It, It can be as simple as that, but if you're serving, man, keep at it because it really does make a difference. It really is making a difference in this community. For the rest of us, it's probably an obvious ask today, right? If you're here today and you've been sitting in a seat and you've been checking things out for a while, and again, you're a follower of Jesus, it's time to get in the game. It's time to get in the game. It's time to find the spot where you can contribute, and again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of Jesus' body, that means you have some kind of a function to offer. And Paul talks about this at length in the letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a mess. Okay, like the first half of this whole letter that Paul writes is basically him being like, Don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, like you're getting it wrong here. And, and then he shifts about halfway through and starts to talk about what the church should look like. And, and he introduces this idea that that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of Jesus' body. And, and he teases it out a little further and he says this. He says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason suddenly stop being a part of the body. Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were just an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be and look, I get it, right? Maybe you're sitting here, and you're like, look, I can't sing, okay? I don't know how to do the lights. I guess I can hold the door open, but it seems like there's people already doing that. Like, you can start discounting your role. What Paul's getting at here is that you have a contribution to make, that just because you're not a singer doesn't mean you can't contribute in some way, that just because maybe you don't see it, the opportunity isn't there, and it's really absurd to think about a part of the body that suddenly just decides to not be a part of the body, right? Like, I'm approaching mid-30s, so that starts happening, I know, where like you wake up and you're just like, well, no back today, I guess, but, but like imagine the absurdity if like your hand was just gone one day, right? That would be a concerning thing. That would be a problem if you wake up and you're like, oh, it's over there laying on the floor. Okay, that's bad, right? It's not only bad, it's gross. Like that's what dismembered parts of the body are. It's, it's bad and it's gross, and I don't want you to be bad and gross, Okay, so, so the invitation is to engage. It's to be a part of it. It's to find your contribution. And I'm not trying to, like, just pat our stats around here or anything like this. I'm not just trying to get you to do something, but I'm inviting you to participate in something. I'm inviting you to be a part of the story that God is writing through this church. I'm inviting you to be a part of the impact that we get to have. And I'm trying to do it unashamedly, because I believe wholeheartedly that maybe outside of investing in your family, There is no more significant investment you can make than investing in the life of a local church because the local church is the hope of the world. Not because I say so, but because Jesus said so. Because Jesus said he would build his church and fill it with his presence and he would do it through ordinary, everyday people like you and me. That's how this movement has always moved and it's the only way that it's going to continue to move into the future. So really practically, what does this look like? Well, I want to acknowledge like this isn't the end-all be-all, okay? I'm not saying like the, the height of Christian maturity is serving on a team at Story Church. Like there's so much more to service and to faith than just saying yes to being on a team, but I will say it's a good starting point. It's a good place to dip your toe in the water and get involved, so maybe for you, your next step, if you're not in the game yet, is to find a team. Find a spot where you can contribute. I mean, again, you heard what can happen if we do this. People formed relationships. People filled a void in their life. People found their giftedness. They got involved, and their faith started to grow. And here's what I would say. Like, some of you are so amazing. You show up week in and week out. You share all the things on Facebook. You, like, listen to the podcast. You love it. You're even inviting friends. That's all so amazing. And I'm so glad that you're so grateful for our church. But if you're here and you're grateful for your church, but you're not engaged, it's time to engage. It's time to engage. It's time to get in the game, because there's some good stuff coming down the road. Like, there's some exciting stuff ahead of us, but it's only going to happen if we function like the church is supposed to function. If we show up, and we get in the game, and we keep moving forward, and we keep bringing our contribution, because it's not about me with a microphone. It's not about the big show on Sunday. It's about all of us moving together and introducing the presence of Jesus in our midst as we all contribute. And so, you may or may not know this, like at the beginning of the service, there's the little slides that roll through that try and remind you of things that are coming up or whatever. Uh, There's one that scrolls by that has our mission statement on it. And our mission is a big deal. It's what drives why we do what we do. And and if you don't know, our mission is to connect people's story to God's story. It's a really broad mission, but that's the language that we use uh, for what it looks like for us to function as the church. But what you may not know is that we actually have like some strategy and method behind how we try and do that based on like our gatherings and all that kind of stuff. And the way that we help people engage in that, we connect people's story to God's story by engaging them in the life and the mission of the church. Like, that's how we do it. It's when you get engaged that you can actually see that mission come to life in your life and hopefully become your personal mission as well so that you're looking at the people in your life and wondering, like, how can they get involved? How can they be a part of it? How can I help connect their story to God's story? So again, if you're not in the game, what if you tried a team? I promise it's not a life sentence. Okay? Uh, we've all been to that church where like, the lady served in the nursery once and then 30 years later she's still there. That's not what we're doing here. Okay? Just try a team and, and if you need to know like, what options are available to you, these, this is just a really broad list of some of the teams that we have. There's guest services, which are people who like hold the doors open and make the coffee and smile and, and check in and welcome everybody. Uh, there's our production team. That's uh, all volunteer led. They do an amazing job, uh, but we'll like train you on how to run lights and sound and, and all that kind of stuff. So you could join that kind of a behind the scenes role. Uh, worship, it's all volunteer up here. So if you can sing or play an instrument, we'd love for you to contribute in that way. Uh, our kids ministry, Our student ministry on Sunday nights, investing in the life of the next generation, there is nothing more significant you could do than give up some of your time and some of your energy to invest in the faith of a young person. Uh, Groups, you could lead a group. Uh, We have people who serve by hosting uh, student ministry right now in their homes. That's an amazing way. And and that's kind of why I put that other line. Because, like, these are all pathways. These are all things you can try, ways that you can try and get involved. Uh, But if you feel like, man, I've got something to contribute that's not on that list, My job is to equip you to do the thing that God put in you. So there's room for other as well. Just come talk to me and and we'll figure out how it fits in the whole mix. Here's the point. We've got to be engaged if we want to function like the church is supposed to function. And so if you're in the game, keep going with me. And if you're not in the game, what if you tried? What if you tried? What if you tried? Listen, there's another quick couple of ways that you can engage. Uh, If you're like, hey, I'm on a team, but I feel like maybe there's more for me. I talked about one already. It's to continue to invite. Continue to invite people into the life of our church. Uh, One of the most powerful things you can do is invite somebody to come sit with you, and and I promise you, it changes your experience when somebody that you invited is sitting next to you. You're like, man, I hope he doesn't preach on money today, right? Like, man, I hope the music's good. Man, I hope he doesn't say anything weird. Like, you feel that tension. Uh, There was a friend of mine who, who just showed up somebody that she knew showed up, and we were talking about it afterwards, and she's like, you're right. Like, I felt it the whole time, because I was like, "Ah, don't mess up, Eric. Like, I hope it works, but man, uh, one of the most powerful things you can do is extend a simple invitation, and here's why that's a big deal. You don't know what hangs in the balance in the life of the person you're inviting. Like, if there's people in your life, people who are close to you, but they're not connected to a faith community, what if you invited them to come check it out? If there's people uh, you know that they're in the midst of something where things just aren't going well. What if you invited them to be surrounded by people who want to love them and help them move forward? If you have friends who are in the midst of something and they're not prepared for it, what if you brought them in the context of community through a simple invitation? It doesn't always work. Okay, you might invite them and they'll be like, nope, not for me. I'm not going to that movie theater cult or whatever. But like, do you know how excited I get every time that it does work? Like, like some of you have been doing this amazingly right now, and every week, it, it's like a little game for me. I'm like, is there going to be a new face, right? Like when somebody that I know walks in with somebody new, I, I'm just like, that's it. Like you're doing it. You're doing it, a- and this is something any of us can do. It, it just takes a little bit of risk, right? Maybe a little bit of relational risk along the way, but again, you don't know what hangs in the balance of your willingness to extend a simple invitation. So maybe that's a way that you engage moving forward. Uh, two more really quickly. Uh, maybe for you, you need to find some community. You need to get around some other people, and uh, this is probably a little bit of my temperament and my personality. I'm gonna kick that one back to serving because for me, the best place that I've found community is on a team, and it's in doing something together, but if you're looking for maybe an environment where people hang out more and and maybe study the Bible or talk more uh, in a relational context, we do have small groups, and I'd love you to check one of those out, and maybe you've tried it before, and you're like, yeah, I've been a part of it, and it's just getting kind of stale. Here's the thing. Maybe it's time for you to lead a different one, or maybe it's time for you to stop being in one and to step up and to lead it. To not, like, leave it, but to lead one. Maybe for you, your next step is to engage in community. But if that's you, uh, maybe that's what you need to do this week. And, and then finally, I didn't want to, like, gloss over this one. Because uh, I know I've talked about people who maybe are here, and they don't know what it looks like to follow Jesus. I, and if that's you today, maybe you can engage in the life of our church by actually finding faith, by actually discovering What this whole thing is all about. If you remember about a half hour ago, we started uh, with Jesus asking his closest followers this compelling question. He said, who do you say that I am? And what if for you, you wrestled that question for yourself? Who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus to you? And if you don't know the answer, man, I would love to meet with you and talk about what it could look like for you to be in a relationship with Jesus. Because again, I, I think nothing can transform your life more. Nothing can give it more meaning and more purpose than living life in relationship with God. And so maybe for you, that's your next step. Here's the point. Okay, when I hear about the state of the church, when I look at the state of the church, it, it breaks my heart. It, it breaks my heart to hear about how this movement uh, seems to be moving in, in the wrong direction at times, even even in our church, to be honest with you. It breaks my heart to observe the passion in some people and the apathy in others. It, it breaks my heart, but I also know that against all odds the church changed the world once. Against all odds the movement kept moving when ordinary people got engaged and when ordinary people brought what they could. They brought whatever contribution they could along the way and I'm naive enough to believe it can happen again, right? That's why we're going to keep going. That's why we're going to keep doing what we do. That's why our mission and our vision has not changed and it's why I'm asking you to keep going if you're already going and to get in the game if you haven't yet engaged in the life of the local church, because there's no greater investment that you could make. And can you imagine what it would be like if we all actually did this? Can you imagine what our community would look like if there was this, like, ragtag bunch of 100 or so people at Story Church who are just, like, all in and trying to make this community reflect God's heart? Man, I think it would be incredible to see. So let me pray for you to that end. God, uh, I just pray today that, that this would feel like an invitation to participate not like a slap on the wrist, (laughs) that this would feel uh, like an invitation to remember once again what's at the heart of this movement. And God, for the person who's just checking things out, I I pray that, that what they heard today and maybe what they've observed would cause them to lean in, to lean into you and lean into this community in a new way. God, thank you for the people around Story Church who really are superstars and who don't do it to get credit or don't do it to get attention. But they show up and they faithfully serve week in and week out for the sake of other people. God, that is such an incredible thing that reflects your heart. And I pray that you give them fresh energy and keep them engaging in the days ahead. God, I pray for my friends here today who who maybe feel that nudge. They're like, man, I should be more engaged. I should be involved, but I don't know where to start. Give them the courage to go out uh, to maybe mark a connection card or sign up for a team just to try it out and, and help them discover their place in your body, in the local church. And God, as we keep engaging, keep our eyes focused on the mission. Keep us connecting people to you and and help us see over the next weeks and months and years, help us see this fresh wave of energy of new people that we're reaching because we chose to get in the game and get engaged. We pray all of that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. If you live in or near the Peru, Indiana area, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend gatherings find directions, service times and information about our environments for kids. Visit us at storyperu.com.